You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And yes, this is your independent beacon for conservative thought here at the conservative conscience, powered by Westwood One Podcast Network. And I am in northern command of conservative review today because we got the snowstorm. It's only November 15th, but we got snow here. Now, some of you, some of you from other parts of the country will probably laugh at me, but uh, you know, you get snow all the time. But this is pretty unusual, you know, this time of year. And uh, you know, I was just thinking, people think they could control God's thermostat. It, it's just so random. You got out west, the worst drought around. You got out east, um, at least where I am. BWI was about to register sixty-three inches of rain this year, the most rain for a single year on record, uh, and it's not even December yet. And yeah, you know, we got a colder than average year. The last couple of years, the fall was very mild. You know, it just it just is what it is. It just is what it is. Um, but anyway, thank thank God the kids weren't off from school. Sometimes for an inch of snow and ice, and it actually is pretty slippery out there. They uh, they tend to let out of school. Uh, but here we are. I actually. I don't know why I'm a little bit giddy today. And I think, you know, I just feel like I'm in a, in a better mood. I, I spoke to a friend of mine who was helping me fight jailbreak and he kind of cheered me up. And I might share that with you a little bit why I'm a little bit more optimistic about stopping this bill, even as it's just so tragic that now we have Trump and the conservative mantle on Willie Horton style views on crime. And, uh, you know, it says in Isaiah, they know not nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes, so they cannot see in their hearts, so they cannot understand. Isaiah forty four eighteen, And that's what it is. People don't see what they don't see. They don't understand what they don't hear. And, you know, it was almost providential that right at the time yesterday afternoon when... Trump came out with that ridiculous statement supporting everything he ever railed against in the most specific way. You had the Avenatti um, dust up with his wife. And I I get it. It's funny because he's a big villain now. So, you know, here he gets arrested and it's kind of fun. But it's just there's always something to distract from harnessing our movement and opening their eyes and hearts to what their party is doing, what Trump is getting sucked into when he doesn't need to get sucked into it if we actually kept him focused. And it's frustrating. But you know what? I do, I really appreciate Mark Levin that despite being a top show host and having a Fox show as well, so, you know, he got, he's got to cover whatever is in the news. And even if it's not important, he, he found time to totally blast this ridiculous jailbreak stuff. So, you know, this is something that I'm just committed to, and I am telling you guys, I cannot underscore how much I appreciate your support uh, sticking by me because you guys are very powerful. You are really powerful, more, th- more than you think. 
the work that we're doing here is disgruntling the other side beyond belief. The swamp, they, 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 they cannot handle it. Even though they have the weight of the universe, everyone in the media, everyone in academia, every nonprofit, every legal center, every business interest, every conservative libertarian and liberal think tank, the Kochs and Soros, they have everyone behind them. Why would they care about one person? But the material we put out rings so true. And it rings so true, not because I'm more talented on speaking the truth than other people. It's because I don't hold back. Almost everyone, there's a check and balance on what they do. Because they strive to get on Fox News. They strive to make more money. They strive for something. And you cannot do that. You cannot do what I'm doing. I've been blessed to have reached a point where there's nothing they could do. Now, at some point, they are going to come after me. They're pretty ticked. But I really, you know, there's really nothing they can do. I am truly an independent platform where, on the one hand, I am blessed with the ability to earn enough money to support my family on the back of speaking the truth and working in public policy, working in politics. But on the other hand, I know I cannot and will not grow and earn more money doing what I'm doing. And I'm okay with that. So, you know, I'm fine with speaking the truth. I just tweeted out on, on Twitter um, that one news network, our, our, our buddies there are truly, that's truly the conservative cable channel. They filed a brief on the opposite side of the Jim Acosta lawsuit while Fox News filed a lawsuit on behalf or filed a brief on behalf of CNN. And again, it's funny because so many of the Fox type of hosts spend all their time focusing on Acosta rather than focusing on the issues that really matter. And ironically, after everything's said, Fox is is on the other side of this. So I just don't care. That's why I'm just not going to change. Now you guys know I don't I don't work with anyone else. I don't I don't work off of other people's talking points. I have my own. So I don't need any industry or anything. I mean in full disclosure, the only time I've ever worked with outsiders is on this jailbreak issue and they're not political groups, they're law enforcement and prosecutors. Cuz they cuz they need a voice. And I don't mean like the big time groups because they're all bought into the establishment, but I mean the ones that are just, they just really care. So, you know, there's that point. Wanted to tie up some loose ends on jailbreak. There's a hundred provisions on this that we're, we're going we're gonna to hit um, one after another, and we're, we're going to be unrelenting over time. But first, I wanted to let you know, I've said this before. You know, a lot of you ask me, what could I do? What could I do? And, and again, you know, I'm kind of struggling with that. But one thing I know you can do is call the White House. Um, as insignificant as it sounds, it's actually more impactful than a vote. Not telling you not to vote, but, you know, there's millions of votes. Whereas if you, if you have a couple hundred people really flood the White House and say, I am a Trump-based supporter... I voted for him precisely because he was going to be tougher on criminals. And here he's signing on to the Soros agenda. I will not support him. This is a disgrace. Just literally in that tone, a couple sentences, it has an impact. Believe me, it does. 
So if you want to direct those comments and other comments of issues where he's caving, you know, he's caving now on the border, on the budget bill, the the final budget bill of the trifecta, he's caving. Um, the number is 202-456-1111. So 202-456-1111. That is the number to call the president and either it will be a message or maybe someone picks up and you could leave a message with the person. But just tell them, I mean, we want him to stop letting in illegals through bogus asylum. We want him to fight for the border wall and against sanctuary cities and use his veto pen. We don't want him letting out federal criminals. So that is something that you could do immediately. I've gotten emails from several of you that you've done that. And good for you. I mean, that's that's the best we can do for now. I am in the process of drafting an outline on what the Freedom Caucus needs to do after yesterday's loss. You know, you saw that yesterday. We were kind of live uh, uh, talking about it live while the vote was going on. It was something like 153 to 42. Kevin McCarthy won over Jim Jordan. Believe it or not, 42 votes for Jim Jordan is more than the 27 that Mike Pence got when he uh, challenged John Boehner in 2006. Yes, Republicans do have this bad habit of reelecting those that got them into the minority. So anyway, we're going to have more on that. And, and, and by the way, I don't have a list of who voted for Jim Jordan because, again, it's not a public vote. But I will tell you that there are some, obviously, Chip... Roy Ron um, Wright from Texas is a freshman. Let's see who else. I'm trying to think. Obviously, what's his name? Mark Harris. We had him on the show. He was the only conservative this cycle to defeat an establishment guy in a primary. So that was something that, you know, he, I, I know for a fact he voted the right way. And I'm pretty sure. Mark Green from T- Tennessee's 7th District. Tennessee 7. So he was the one who fill, is filling Marsha Blackburn's seat. He looks to be a good guy. I'm pretty sure he voted for Jordan. Among the freshmen, that's kind of it. Um, among the existing members, it's it's probably most of the Freedom Caucus members. Then you have people that aren't officially the Freedom Caucus, but they're kind of aligned with it for good reasons. They're retain their independence like uh, Thomas Massey who actually tweeted out a copy of his voting card so people could see God bless him. He's, he's awesome. So, so there's that with the elections, but anyway, back to jailbreak and this, this nonsense going on. So late yesterday after we got off the air, the national association of assistant U S attorneys, penned an emergency letter to Trump, three paragraphs, begging him not to do this and just said, you promised us that you would meet with us before signing on to this. And of course, they were rebuffed, but we posted their letter at Conservative Review. I'm going to link to in show notes, by the way, we created a landing page where because I, I would tend to write about this like once a week, once every other week, and all the articles are dispersed. I know a lot of you complain it's sometimes hard to find things, and I have the same complaint too with our website. You know, it's 
not my fault. <laughs> but I'm trying to gather as many of them as possible. I probably have about 50 articles on this, but we have about a dozen of them. So we'll have this landing page that we posted on getting the facts on, on jailbreak. But anyway, they sent a letter and isn't it sad that the president who promised to be tougher on drug traffickers, to be tougher on illegal aliens, to be tougher on crime, to be in sync with law enforcement is literally working with the worst elements of the swamp. Van Jones is tweeting out, this is awesome, Mr. President. I give you credit. Van Jones and Kim Kardashian's rear end, they all have a say in the White House. All of them. The Kochs, which, you know, Trump complains about them, but then hires their staff or, you know, has Jared do it. Soros, everyone. But the very law enforcement for whom he wrapped himself up the entire campaign, they don't they don't have a say. They don't have an avenue. Their voices aren't heard. And that is because conservatives refuse to do what I'm doing. They refuse to assert themselves on the president. He could have easily been talked off of this. The guy doesn't read legislation. You know that. You know, Jared certainly will not show him my articles, and he certainly will not tell him that under this bill, illegal aliens will be released into home confinement, at which point they will easily abscond because they're the, you know, the easiest flight risk. And, you know, he explicitly said he didn't want that, but it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Facts just don't matter. Very, very sad. Now, a couple of things here. Then uh, the the federal prosecutors, and, and these are current federal prosecutors. They represent assistant U.S. attorneys that do all the grunt work throughout the country. Very important. And they have a new letter posted. with all the details about you know this person that Mike Lee was talking about which which just drives me nuts it's pretty insane so mike lee wrote about this dude what's his name um trying to forget remember his name weldon angelos oh he had three bean bags of marijuana and he was locked up forever and really, it turns out the prosecutors, when, when Mike Lee wrote that op-ed, and, and Mike Lee was, was saying this in speeches, and they confronted him before and said, we pulled the records. This dude was a heavy-duty, heavy-duty cocaine trafficker involved in the gangs and cartels and, and weapons. And that's number one. And number two, in addition, he was given... All of the um, all, all of the opportunities to escape the mandatories, which they all are, and he played chicken with them and refused to give to cooperate. Right, this guy, this guy from Utah. So that is how. That is how. He got the mandatories. 
if you want a deterrent, you have to be willing to pull the trigger on the people that play chicken with you. See, he tries to create this narrative, oh, just someone that they had to earn money, they just got roped into some street selling. No, the federal prosecutors, even the state doesn't go after, but the feds, certainly, they don't go after these people. They go after the guys at the top. Causing all this stuff. And, um, you know, they arrested him, you know, unlawfully possessing firearms, Involved in his uh, gun tra- in his uh, drug trafficking, and again, Democrats are going to try to peel off suburban voters with common sense gun laws. What better way to jujitsu their garbage than by saying you bums want to violate the Second Amendment to disarm law-abiding citizens that are beleaguered by your very sanctuary city, open borders, weak on terrorism? weak on Islamic immigration, weak on crime policies, and now you want to let convicted gun felons out of federal prison. Oh, but whoops, we can't have that talking point. Because, well, uh, I don't know. We just can't have it. Because we agree to it, evidently, as so-called conservatives. So they, they have a full exposition of this guy's entire letter and they sent it to Fox News. I'm entire record. They sent it to Fox News. They sent it to Mike Lee and he continues to lie. And I'm sorry. I know I know it hurts a lot given that on every other issue almost he's he's as good as they get. But I mean this issue is important and I'm not going to let him get away with this. It's too important. So you know there's that issue. Now, there's just a bunch of other things. Gosh, at some point, I'm going to have to go through all the provisions one by one. We went through a lot of them. But one other thing about this issue is that, you know, the, what are they called? The the organization um, of major sheriffs. I'm trying to think what their name is. There's National Sheriff's Association. Then there's the Major County Sheriffs of America. They put out a statement showing how this legislation creates high-risk paths for dangerous criminals with gun crime histories for early release. So on page 13 of the bill, right, they have a bunch of suggestions that would ins- to fix some of the technical language that would ensure that individuals convicted of serious gun crimes do not receive early release. And they, and they, you know, it's it's right there in the bill. So they can't tell you, oh, it's not there. Um, same thing with fentanyl. And, you know, another thing is they have supervised release as an option for applying time credits under the bill. You know, what the hell is supervised release? They don't define that. That is really dangerous. Because, again, you have to understand, Trump won't be president forever. And even even if he is, we don't get know if we're going to get someone anywhere close to Sessions in terms of their views on crime. Most of the people in the legal profession now are horrible. You know, they're not going to send them even... If you give them discretion, 
to send them to halfway house or this new undefined community supervision, they're going to send them to this, the weakest one, the weakest one. So there's, there's a bunch of bunch of interesting stuff going on here. And again, we're going to be all over this as time goes on. But I wanted you guys just to know that one of the things to look forward to is that what it, it, basically there's a part of me that it is is terrified for our movement that it's gotten this far that Trump has put his name on this. It's just so sad. But the very factor driving their success until now is what is going to make them stumble later on. Because their entire thing is built upon talking points that are lies. The beauty of having a legislative fight as opposed to a PR fight is that facts matter. See, facts don't matter now. I could, I could try to show people and explain to them, you don't understand where this is coming from. You don't understand where this is headed. This is not just uh, you know nonviolent people. These are the worst of the worst. They're going to see that because there's going to be an open amendment debate in the Senate. And you're going to have both conservatives like Tom Cotton introducing amendments because they're like, no, no, it doesn't release illegals. Okay, so we'll have an amendment saying that illegals can't be a part of this. And then they're all going to vote against it. Oh, what do you mean? I thought it was in there. It's not in the bill. Oh, well, it actually is in the bill. And then on the left, you're going to have Kamala Harris and Cory Booker are just going to lose control of their faculties. They're going to go nuts on this. They're going to abolish all, they're going to have amendments abolishing all mandatories for everything murder, rape, you name it, felons voting. And then it's going to completely embarrass the Mike Lees, the Kochs, the Heritage Foundation, all these people that really are ultimately support this stuff. But in order to buy off conservatives, they have these lying talking points. They're going to see where this train is headed, and they, they will not be able to hide it. So you know what? Let's have an open debate. Until now, it's been frustrating because I show my cards. Say what you want about me, but I'm not exactly – I don't do things on the cheap. I'm relentless. I follow up on the issue. I write copious thousands of words of – Articles, you know, time and time and again, covering every angle of this. You know where I stand. I say what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. My vision of criminal justice, what I think, you know, on uh, we we could work on an overcriminalization of certain things. What we need to be tougher on. I'm, I'm very clear about that. I'm not going to hide behind it. These guys hide behind their true views. The truth is. They don't believe in prison for the most part. They don't believe in it. They believe incarceration is the problem, not crime. They have fundamentally adopted the rehabilitation, not deterrent and punishment and justice divide between you know Reagan and McGovern era Democrats. They have they have t- they have adopted the full Soros on this issue. There's no going back from that. But they're not going to say that. Like, no, this is conservative and you save money and all this stuff. Having a protracted debate will kill this. But, you know, we got to fight like like hell to make it happen. And, you know, I think that is that is so important 
for you guys to remain engaged. I need it. I need you guys to remain engaged. Um, one, one other thing I wanted to point out. In 1981, Ronald Reagan gave one of his earliest uh, speeches on criminal justice reform that I, I, I mean, at least among the things I could see on record. And the funny thing is, he actually discussed criminal justice reform in the opposite context. Okay, j- just to just to show, just to show you guys how the term has been completely hijacked. Ronald Reagan used it to refer to the exact opposite. The exact opposite of what these guys are doing. Right? It's unbelievable. That's what Reagan did. And he called, he actually called it criminal justice reform. So you could take that to the bank. What did he refer to by criminal justice reform? Yeah, what, what, what was his big issue? He was talking about the need to land more convictions. His whole thing was the threshold for inadmissibility of evidence. He really wanted to change that. That was his big issue. Now, nobody on the right will touch that with a 10-foot pole. Now, look, it's fine. You don't have to agree with Ronald Reagan on everything, but be transparent about that. Don't invoke Reagan while dismantling his agenda. And that's what Mike Lee did. And I, I just, to me, that's, that's unforgivable. It is unforgivable. For, forgivable. But, but again, you know, it, it's very interesting when you go back in time and you look at different terms that were used. And I'm just telling you, we can't allow them to hijack it. We need criminal justice reform, all right. And actually, it was called, the president's bill was called the Criminal Justice Reform Act of 1982. So, you know, let me me just read to you here from a New York Times article. President Reagan proposed today that Congress pass three measures that he said would make it more likely that those who commit crimes pay a price. His legislative package for the federal courts would limit the insanity defense, revise the rule excluding illegally obtained evidence from criminal trials, and restrict defendants' ability to obtain federal court review of convictions returned in state courts. All three measures have been the subject of considerable debate in the House and Senate. Quote, these measures will simplify the justice system and make it more likely that those who commit crimes pay a price. We'll link to this in show notes. But um, I'm telling you, folks, this is what true criminal justice reform is. This is the Reagan legacy. This is what it means to be a conservative. And this is why we need to reset the baseline on all these issues. Okay, so we'll have more on jailbreak in the coming days. want to move on to close the loop on some of the election-related stuff we spoke about yesterday. I have a very long article out today really putting to paper some of the things we said 
yesterday on the show, but this way you'll be able to pass it around in an article showing how the courts have now, A, declared themselves to be supreme, even a district judge, but also they're supreme over state election law, which was explicitly to be given over to the states. And yet, and yet, they vitiate state law. Now, what's been going on recently is not just what I've warned about in my book, what I've been warning about in my columns the last couple of years, that during the off-season, so to speak, between elections, they nullify all the state voter integrity laws, whether it's governing uh, ballot harvesting, photo ID, proof of citizenship, types of mail-in ballots, nature of the, nature of the ballots, the deadlines, same-day registration, how many days of registration, Early voting, obviously. But now they're doing it on the back end. See, this is there's one thing that you know you don't have state law, which is the constitutional law. Article one, section two, article one, section four, and the seventeenth amendment are very clear on that. All the quotes from the crafters of the fourteenth amendment, as I mentioned, the fourteenth amendment did not change that. But at least, okay, so now we have judicial law, but at least you go into the election knowing that that's the law, the fake law. But you know, you know what I mean. It's the same standard. But what they're doing now is at the back end, taking ballots that pursuant to law headed into the election were invalid. And then they come at the end and change the rules like, ha, 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 no, it's valid because we have to let the Democrats win. So that's the problem here. Now, Let me read to you an article from today from Politico. The Florida Department of State last week asked federal prosecutors to investigate dates that were changed on official state election documents, the first voting regularities it has flagged in the wake of the 2018 elections. The concerns which the department says can be tied to the Florida Democratic Party center around date changes on forms used to fix vote-by-mail ballots sent with incorrect or missing information. Known as cure affidavits, those documents used to fix mail ballots were due no later than 5 p.m. on November 5th. Now, for those of you who don't have a calendar, November 5th was Monday before the election, the day before, right? The evening before. But affidavits released on Tuesday by the Department of State show that documents from Four different counties said the ballots could be returned by 5 p.m. on Thursday, which is not accurate. They're now saying we have late voting now. Late voting. And we now have judges saying that you could totally count some of this stuff. I mean, it's utterly insane. Utterly insane. I'm just telling you right now as we speak, the Federalist Society, the big confab of conservative, really mainly libertarian leaning legal dudes, they get together and they have the annual, you know, seminars. And I have a lot of good friends that that go to it and have a good time and, and that's that's fine. But what's sad is almost none of them will talk about this point. 
Nothing matters until we solve this issue of judicial supremacy. Because they're going to decide, they're going to determine elections. And that's the thing. A judge ruled that that Florida must give voters until 5 p.m. Saturday to cure the mismatched signatures to have absentee provisional ballots counted. They could literally retroactively, after the election, oh, no, 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 here, here, I'm curing it. I'm going to fix my uh, information. Let's just forget about, and and there's an estimated pool of about 4,000 of these. Now, let's just assume for a minute that there's not fraud involved. Now, we know there is, allegedly, from these four counties that they downright told them ahead of time to violate the date to cure their things. You can only cure it before, not after. So let, let's say no one's going to engage in fraud where they're downright going to, you know, they're not eligible. They're not regi- you know, registered at that address. It's not their birth date. It's not their social security number, whatever it is. But for a judge to vitiate common sense, basic election law, it's not some like crazy convoluted thing. Okay, in order to vote, you've got to jump through this and that loop, you know, that, 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 that uh, hole. No, it's very simple that you have until election and you can't come retroactively to cure an invalid ballot. And a judge says you have until Saturday to do it. It just boggles the mind. It boggles the mind. You know, you you, you read this uh, court order. I read some of it. And I'm telling you, what's striking about it is that there's no law involved. It's like the law doesn't matter. And I understand why. It makes sense to me. I don't blame them. Meaning if you tell a judge you are the law, so he doesn't have to deal with statute or the Constitution because he could just say whatever he wants. So indeed, they will say whatever they want. It's that simple. So this was Chief Judge Mark Walker. He ruled on Thursday that voters have until Saturday. And what I found amazing is you know, you look at, I'm trying to see the quote here. I'm trying to dig it up as I'm talking here. Um, where is this? Yeah, I don't, I don't have the exact quote here. But what, what I could tell you, where is this? He basically appealed to emotion. And and this is the growing sense, growing trend that you're seeing in the judiciary. Back in the Warren era when they started this garbage, so there was a method to their madness. Uh, Scalia always called it legal fog. They were very good at obscuring their their political agenda in what looked like sane legal language. Hey, well, this looks like a nice opinion. Now they just blatantly say that uh, we just don't care. We just don't care. It's really scary. It's really scary. And 
I don't know if Walker, Judge Walker here, an Obama appointee, of course, was invoking Marco Rubio and trying to make fun out of him. Because remember Rubio's football analogy. He said, you know, if one team's up 28-26 and then they have possession of the ball, the losing team, the team that's down two points has possession of the ball in the final drive of the game and they have the last few seconds on the clock and they kick a field goal, they win the game, right? You can't have referees just saying, you know what? Now we're going to count field goals as one point, not three. So really you lost. So here's what he wrote. I'm not kidding you. This is what they're so political. It's like a press release. Consider the game of football. Football fans may quibble about the substance of the rules, but no one quibbles that rules are necessary to play the game. But then he says, but sometimes you got to throw a red flag. This is not football. Rather, this is a case about the precious and fundamental right to vote. The right. Preservative of all rights, of all other rights. And it is about the right of a voter to have his or her vote counted. What, what, what are you talking about? No, it's not true. That, 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 no. <laughs> I have a whole article on that. The Constitution gives states some power. Now, a state can't say black people can't vote or you can't vote. But you could say, you know, you have to have the right eligibility and address. And if you don't have it, you can't cure it after the election. You can't have... Late voting. Like, you no, you, you you can't do that. That disenfranchises everyone. Like, the guy admitted that you have to have standards. But he's like, well, it's not football. This is a, a fundamental right. Now, as I said before, um, he's wrong about this. It's not a fundamental right. Notice how he says it's to defend all other rights. It's not true. The palladium of all other rights is 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 um the Second Amendment. It's it's self defense. It's gun rights, and that they'll take away and allow states to regulate the hell out of that. Voting is very very important. It's the most important positive citizenship privilege. That's very close to a fundamental right, but at the end of the day. It's not a fundamental right. And that's why a state doesn't need to pass the same degree of scrutiny to infringe upon it as they would a real right, such as, such as gun rights. That's the reality. John Bingham, one of the civil rights champions who drafted Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, and he was on the Reconstruction Committee, he declared, quote, We all agree and that the great body of the people of this country agree, and the committee thus far in reporting measures of Reconstruction agree, that the exercise of elective franchise, though it be one of the privileges of a citizen of the republic, is exclusively under the control of the states. Jacob Howard the right, the Republican from Michigan cut in and said, quote, the right of suffrage is not in law one of the privileges or immunities thus secured by the Constitution. It is merely the creature of law. It has always been regarded in this country as the result of positive local law. Positive local law. Notice local and positive not regarded as one of the most of those fundamental rights 
lying at the basis of all society and without which a people cannot exist except as slaves subject to despotism. Life, liberty, and property, and and as Sam Adams said, the self-defense used to protect that, that you need. It's despotism without it. It's raunchy if you don't have the right to vote, but it's not that ultimately it, it's statute. It's local law, and it's local. And certainly something just governing when you have screwed up residency and signatures, which is the basic right of a state to preserve the franchise for everyone else and not have them disenfranchised by voter fraud, most certainly is is within their purview. But this is what these judges are doing. It's, 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 it's disgusting, utterly disgusting. I just want to conclude today with an update on the border. So from everything I can see, they plan on letting in the caravan at the points of entry. And as I've said many times, the caravan is not even everything. We have the equivalent of a caravan every week that comes in quietly that we let them in. We're not stopping this. Everything's in chaos. And from everything I am hearing, they are prepared to screw us. Screw us on the budget bill in December 8th. This is the last trifecta control they have. All three branches, the last time to get your immigration priorities, asylum, interior enforcement, deportation, judicial reform, obviously sanctuary cities in the wall and more ICE agents in the bill. You know, they're spending money on everything else. They're increasing spending, so you may as well at least do it on the one thing you want. And he's going to cave. Now, it's not news to you because you guys all knew that and understood that. And that's it. But that was their excuse that they said, no, we can't do this right before the election. Well, they were wrong. That was the only way to stave off a blue wave and actually have a real election and have it over substance. But they tossed that. Well, now you don't even have your fake excuse. And this is your last chance. But of course, Trump will not veto. And and why is he not going to do it? He's not going to do it because we don't assert ourselves. I, I really, I'm not just BSing you. I do have a little bit of hope. I really do think the truth prevails. But only if we fight for it. Only if we're there putting it on the map, putting it on the radar, calling the balls and strikes, saying, this is happening. This is what they're doing. So you force a confrontation. See, what they do is they win by acclamation. Oh, there's a bunch of nonviolent people where uh, we were locking up too long. Well, if you just let that go, they're going to win. But if you expose them and have a fight on it, then they have to start answering your questions. You have a legislative fight. And we have a debate over the issue, and they cannot win because our views are unassailable on that. Same thing with immigration. If we actually force a fight, and Trump would demand that the House pass his bill, and then you stare down the Senate to change the filibuster rule. And again, we've spoken many times. It doesn't mean even abolishing it. It just means actually following current rules, forcing a talking filibuster. Force a talk. They'll have to get up there and say why they want to shut the government down. On behalf of illegal aliens. And Trump could frame it with his bully pulpit. It's not that we can't win these issues. It's not that we can't win the personnel fights in the administration. 
all the bad guys would have to defend their views if we actually named them. And Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh would call them out. But they don't. So these guys win by acclamation. They get away with it. That's what we got to stop. We'll have more later. I just wanted to update you on a lot of the unfinished business from yesterday. A lot of you have had a lot of questions. Tweet me at Conservative. Email me, dharowitz at crtv.com. Let me know. No information is too much. You could send me anything you have. I often see it. I can't promise I'll always see it or respond, but I usually do. So um, feel free to contact me. Until next time, God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.